Hi everyone, this is your host Varun Gumbidi. Welcome to the Stars and Startups podcast. One of my earlier guests, Trishi Pagwani, from episode two, had spoken very highly about the accelerator his company, Hashtag Loyalty, were a part of. I had a chance meeting with Prasanna, the CEO and co-founder of Upeka, and loved what they had to say. Invited him to be on the podcast. We talk about what it means to build a value SaaS business, pricing in SaaS, and a lot more exciting concepts, including effectuation. and also what it is to be a startup in itself there is a lot one can take away from this podcast and if you're a saas founder the deadline to apply for the next batch starting early september ends on august 15th have a look don't forget please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it and uh, if you're on youtube do subscribe so you can stay informed okay let's get on to this episode Hi guys, today we speak with uh, Prasanna, uh, CEO and co-founder of Upeka Value SaaS Accelerator. He was earlier at uh, Microsoft Accelerator where he worked with hundreds of startups and enabled them. Prasanna believes his life mission is to enable Indian SaaS startup founders to compete with uh, you know the founders from the valley. And I think uh, that's where all of this started for him. But let's welcome Prasanna to the show. Uh, hey Prasanna, welcome. Hey Varun, good to meet you. Good to talk to you. Absolutely. Uh, we actually haven't formally met, but I've heard so much about uh, you and and the accelerator. Uh, we actually had uh, one of your uh, startup founders, Krishi of Hashtag Loyalty, uh, on episode two. So for those who are listening, watching, uh, please uh, check out that uh, podcast. but uh, he had so many good things to say about the accelerator and how uh, you know you guys have enabled them to start their latest offering thrive uh, for restaurants and in this uh, covid environment uh, thrive is also thriving so um, uh, hey so one of the things i've heard about upeka is you becoming the yc of indian saas entrepreneurs uh, what is it that you are doing we believe in uh, slightly different from most other ecosystem providers right so what we want is for founders to have success so what we are looking for is meaningful founder outcomes and uh, interestingly enough uh, you know meaningful founder outcomes and meaningful uh, business outcomes are not always aligned and there are different things that you do which may take you out of that alignment so what uh, we believe in is that uh, if you have domain expertise if you are a founder who has domain expertise who has tech expertise who can build products uh, today is the best time ever to build a b2b saas business build it as a value saas business where uh, as a founder you maintain your options your optionality in the future and you can literally earn anywhere between a million dollars to 10 million dollars in 3 5 7 years uh, with very low risk while being profitable along the way mm. and that can be transformational to a lot of founders right and so that's the goal for us is to help a thousand founders a large number of founders build great businesses which deliver a lot of value to their customers a lot of value to their employees and a lot of value to themselves as founders that's the mission that we are on and we believe that um you know these founders are going to be from everywhere so 
we work with founders in raipur we work with founders in ahmedabad we work with founders across the country you don't need to be in a bangalore you don't need to be in a chennai you don't need to be in a delhi and that's the uh, real mission that we are set out uh, on today and uh, uh, you know uh, it's good that uh, folks like rishi uh, have been able to make uh, enormous changes in their business uh, using some of the principles that we have helped them with including effectuation uh, and by doing that they are actually delivering value to their customers which are small businesses around the country restaurants uh, and other types of small businesses around the country right? so that's kind of the mission that we are on hopefully we'll be able to uh make that happen in the next 10 years i want to kind of probe a little bit deeper on what do you mean by value saas i think for a lot of people it is a new concept i've never heard of that before you obviously hear of saas but now we're adding the word value next to it uh what what is this all about right so value saas is the opposite of vanity saas right so what you're basically saying is no vanity saas right and uh, the reason why we're saying that is that you know from the outside a lot of the metrics that founders pick up and start chasing over time uh, end up being slightly deleterious to their financial outcomes and the customers you know uh, business outcomes right? so what we are saying is hey the, the model for any saas business any b2b saas business in general has to be first about adding value to the customer and if you add value to the customer and your customer is a business they want to pay you because over the last 10 20 years they've realized that if i as a business am not paying for something then the outcome for that is not going to be great for me right i might be the product or i might have a cost downstream which I don't want to stomach right so premium is okay free trial is okay but if the product itself is free then it's not a good idea for me as a business to depend on that product right so customers want to pay businesses want to pay you when you add value to their business so the number one is how can you determine a problem that a, your customer as a business has which is a very high value problem and if you solve that problem can you get some of that value for yourself in creating that value for your customer and then getting some part of that value for yourself as a business can you create enough value for your employees and yourself as a stakeholder and any other stakeholders that you have and if you are able to create this value chain and do it in a smooth way the beauty of b2b saas is your customers are willing to pay you upfront right. if you are solving a big enough problem for them mm. right and when your customers pay you upfront you can make this whole thing into a flywheel by minimizing the amount of external capital that is ingested mm. so the metaphor that we give is uh, like this right so let's say you're building a printing machine and to build this printing machine you borrow 1 dollar you borrowed 1 dollar you build this printing machine and it prints 1 dollar of profit right that's all it does right the second type of machine a different entrepreneur builds they also borrow 1 dollar but they build a machine which builds prints 10 dollars of profit now the interesting question to ask is which do you think shows the skill of an entrepreneur right so you would think that if you are measuring the skill of an entrepreneur somebody who is able to build this second machine which takes borrows 1 dollar prints 10 dollars is a more skilled entrepreneur now can these skills be taught that's part of what we do the second part of the question which is more interesting actually and for from a founder perspective more directly impacting their outcomes is who owns the machine 
if you borrowed 1 dollar and you're only printing 1 dollar of profit guess what you can't lay claim to a large chunk of that machine anymore you're going to maybe own 50% of that machine right but there is a liquidation overhang which is that the first dollar of profit that you make you will have to give back to the investor so you may be left with nothing mm. in the second case you may have to give only 10% of that machine to that mm. lender and therefore the meaningful founder outcome is much more likely in the second machine so what we are saying is build a value saas business which can print more profit than you took in as capital and if you are able to build a flywheel where you are delivering so much value to the customer that the customer gets you more customers then the whole flywheel starts becoming very very powerful for you so you have to sell to customers who can pay you more over time you have to sell to customers who are happy to get you more customers over time and obviously that means you have to be doing a kick ass job of building a product that delivers enormous amounts of value to them right make them your champion and if you are able to do that then you create a value saas business and we believe that uh given where things are given how software adoption is exploding around us mm. every single business is going to need software to run everything that they do and there are going to be tens of thousands of niches mm. where the value for the customer is going to be in the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars and many of these niches will not have a time where a vc scale exit can be there okay right so this might be you're selling to a niche where there is only a 20 million market but if you build customized software for them you can create 200 million dollars of value for which you can get 20 20 million and if you do that as a value saas business if you create 200 million dollars of value or between you and your competitors you've created 200 yeah. million dollars value mm. you can probably sell your business for 20 million dollars 40 million dollars 100 million dollars to somebody or keep generating millions of dollars of profit every year because you don't have to give money back to somebody yeah. you don't have to give an exit back to somebody and therefore you can create millionaires out of your employees and become millionaires yourself right and we see that in the next 10 years there are going to be tens of thousands of these niches that's the uh, philosophy of values you know the i've read somewhere that software is eating software earlier to software eating the world where everything is getting taken over and and you know daily functions uh, maybe you're writing a book and that uh, you know converting accounting on a book to a software was what is happening uh, but now we're seeing other software being eaten by you know maybe saas and other businesses is this uh, a term uh, what are what what does this really mean so the way we are thinking about it is uh, there are there are all these things happening in parallel right uh, in businesses that have been online for 20 years 30 years mm. their crm uh, marketing functions sales functions these are folks who are have been using software for 20 years so they have adopted software before and today saas is eating software in those segments right 
because they used to buy software 30 years ago whenever and they'll buy software and they'll assume that software is like a you know a machine that i'm buying and the machine this is called on prem not necessarily on prem or that's okay. a deployment model right and i i can go into that but essentially i'm buying something it's like a machine and i expect that the machine has a lifetime of so many years right a fixed lifetime and i pay for it and once for it and then maybe somebody maintains it and i'm done with that software right but in reality what happened was the software became the nervous system for your entire organization or your uh, team in that organization now the challenge is that once that software became a part of your nervous system it can't anymore be maintenance right right if you want to do something else with your hand your nervous system has to be able to do that function right so if your nervous system doesn't isn't able to do that new function that you want you have to train it but that means that the nervous system has to be malleable enough to be trainable but the old software was not designed to be that malleable it was designed to change once in 3 years once in 6 years versus today saas as a product is basically what software folks are saying is look i gave you software like a machine for one purpose mm. but you are coming back to me 6 months later saying i it has to do something else or one year later saying it has to do something else or something in the ecosystem has changed so it has to plug into something else new or you know we, we used to do it this way now we have to do it this way right so all those changes are happening in the external environment and if software is your nervous system your nervous system has adapted and that was not possible in the old model in the new model with recurring software pricing what software vendors are saying is look i know that i am your nervous system i have to adapt to the ecosystem that you are in you will change your business processes and i have to be malleable to help you with those changes right. in the business process so don't pay me lump sum pay me over time pay me to continue to build the capabilities in the same software so that at the end of 3 years you don't have a cliff where you're suddenly deciding all oh, the old thing sucks because it hasn't caught up now i have to change everything to adapt to the new reality versus you're making incremental changes every month every 3 months every 6 months but you're keeping up with my ecosystem my reality so when i'm trying to do something new with my hand the software the nervous system that's in my organization has already started changing to be able to allow me to do that right that's the massive shift between software and saas where software is no is now being considered core part of your nervous system to be able to do anything that you want especially um, some of these companies based out of chennai were already popular around the world for building phenomenal value in terms of saas um there are companies like chargebee zoho freshdesk uh, now freshworks but the latest companies that have come out uh, i would say in the last 6 months we have probably heard more about them is uh, companies like hasura postman uh, whatfix which have now been valued at very large values uh what what has changed in the recent past for all of these to kind of gain so much more importance and and uh what has been that shift right so 
first we have to calibrate right while while we think that you know india saas is growing and it's big and stuff like that uh, there's a company called splunk in the us single company uh, does back end uh, log management for the large companies so you know they aggregate all the logs and give alerts and stuff like that that single company has a market cap of 31 billion dollars zoom today has a market cap of about 32 40 million billion dollars if you take all the b2b saas companies in india together we will not reach that today right that's the reality now what has happened is that uh, there are two parts to this right one is there are lots of founders now building value saas businesses which deliver clear value to end customers and therefore are able to get value back and they're growing well the second set of businesses like a whatfix or a, a hasura or postman or a, a browser stack they solve problems that never existed before and the that were never solved before to a large degree right and what's happening is this is now this was now some uh, something that indian investors were not very prepared to even invest in 3 years even 2 years ago 3 years ago 5 years ago startup like this would struggle to get investment because the question that a lot of people would ask is what company like this has become a 100 million dollar company in the past and there's no answer to that because literally i'm doing something that nobody has done before then a browser stack exactly right but a browser stack what fakes uh a postman hasura these folks have changed the narrative they've proven to some degree right not yet to that degree that you can build a category defining business out of india uh, and there was a myth that you can't build a category defining business unless you're very close to the customer right but they've been able to do that and uh, i think that's what's propelling uh, valuation uh, jump uh, way beyond what we've seen in the past uh because the vcs are you know a lot of the vcs have a limited uh, set of such companies to invest in as well and they have a like a large amount of dry powder that has to go into a certain set of companies and that's right. also forcing the valuation up companies are you saying that now indian vcs are opening up to taking bets on unexplored territories Uh, i mean especially you know when you can't actually assess the tan the total addressable market uh, for this i mean these are very tough to also gauge right um, how many yeah. people sign up for it i'm curious about what what is it that they've been able to do now or, or are they saying okay let's anyway we're taking bets and these are better bets because now at least they've started showing value and hence we can drive a lot more uh, you know because this is global and the time could be much greater because they'll also have that foot in the door and some of these companies to do other things right so honestly i don't think so much about uh, what vcs do or vcs don't do and i'll tell you why for an average entrepreneur it doesn't matter vcs fund maybe 3% of founders 5% of founders right? at best so including early stage seed stage kind of funding right so as an entrepreneur uh, and especially as a b2b saas entrepreneur Uh, most of the uh, markets that you are going to be looking at and that's where the you know 10000 niches 100000 niches are going to uh, play out if you have domain expertise in a particular domain and literally yesterday night i was speaking with a entrepreneur who built a you know 4 5 million dollar uh, revenue annual arr business 
uh, in a very very vertical niche and they have not been able to get funding in india because they understand that vertical very very well none of the nobody can understand the vertical as well as them and they see a path and they saw a path from going from 100000 to a million to 5 million to 10 million and 20 million and 100 million but the others don't see that path right somebody who's not been in that industry can't see that path and uh, you know this person was telling me uh, there is a market called the gtc which is uh, governance uh, regulation and compliance right and this is a super specialized market right uh, cfos will have a small team cfo of a large organization will have a small team which deals with the stuff but if this goes wrong it could cost a company uh, millions to tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars in penalty right. so this is a very very niche play and so an analyst or somebody even if they spend like literally weeks if not months understanding the segment if a new product comes up in that space they are not qualified to judge whether that product will work or not whether that business will work or not or that time will work or not versus the entrepreneur who has that domain expertise right and might as well uh, my in most cases uh, is uh, most likely to have a few customers who are ready to buy that is a much better judge of the potential of that so in some cases they might be solving their own problem like the postman guys uh, their story is that they solve their own problem right and they had deep domain expertise in that space and they built that domain expertise over time uh, or if you take the browser stack guys they build something to solve their own problem or if you take manav from eka he was doing something to solve his own problem or in the founder that i spoke to you about yesterday he was also doing something to solve his own problem or uh, i know people who have come out for, from a wipro for example and they were deep in the manufacturing space and they realized that uh, and this is very very specific insight right they realized that in any kind of a production environment where you are doing batch based production there is a concept of a golden batch and the golden batch somehow the quality of that is much much better than the other batches so how do you replicate that golden batch is a is a million dollar tens of millions of dollars hundreds of millions of dollars uh cost problem to solve but if you really don't understand everything about that you can't make that promise to somebody right and so you, you can't even talk to a, uh, somebody who's running a plant and this might be a billion dollar revenue plant uh, you know and there for them that difference between the golden batch and the next best batch might be hundreds of millions of dollars of value a year how do you even talk to them without having that deep domain but if you have the deep domain expertise do you think somebody else is going to understand that and say yes this is a big enough problem it's not easy right so when founders have that conviction and that could be like a billion dollar thing or a 100 million dollar thing or a tens of millions of dollars if they have the domain expertise and the conviction and a few customers who can take it and run with it and show that yes this works for me mm-hmm. that is what is going to be a much better indicator than any other vanity metric right which somebody from the outside is looking for and they are looking for metrics because they want something quant- quantitative to you know grab a hold of right yeah, yeah but for founders that qualitative feedback saying if a customer says look i'll pay you for it give it to me i need this is enough to build a viable business in b2b saas in b2c with small ticket size it doesn't work but in a b2b saas kind of a context a single deal could be 100000 200000 half million dollars that's like a large medium sized uh, large angel round or a medium sized seed round and that can get you off the ground and going and uh, 
you know building that uh, values of business when did you have this insight was it while running um, you know growth at microsoft accelerator or you know what is the moment that you said you know what this is what i want to be doing and let's go out and build uh, upeka uh, along with uh, co-founder uh, rajan right so um i did i, I was in a b2b uh, startup in 2005 to 11 uh, we were doing a network security product initially hardware and then uh, we couldn't afford to build the hardware so we built software alone and sold it uh we had amazing advisors but uh, the challenge was that they, none of them at that point in time 2005 in india very very few of them had built a startup before so they were giving us amazing advice which was 180 degrees wrong not because of intentions but simply because they were giving that advice from a corporate perspective versus what we needed was from a startup perspective then i did another startup which was bootstrap again b2b uh, got to about 35000 pounds in revenue but couldn't scale that out uh, because the market was uh, not in a good condition at that time this is 2011 12 uh, after a month of the uh, financial crisis and stuff right and then i joined amazon and then i joined microsoft accelerator in microsoft accelerator i worked with primarily a large number of b2b startups but b2b was not necessarily saas it could be an oem product it could be all manners of products uh, that were in that space right? uh, towards the and when i started talking to a lot of people i realized that uh, in that 100 plus startups that i had spoken to the folks who were doing really well were the saas founders uh, because recurring revenue while it's slow to start as it compounds yeah. and especially uh, founders who've been able to build a good product right or a great product which actually delivers value to customers those folks were able to you know sustain it build it keep uh, growing year over year and some of them have become very large businesses right? uh, so the, then the thought process was okay what's preventing a lot of people from building that Uh, and the uh, analogy that i went for and figured out was that in 1990 there were uh, about 200 companies uh, doing about 100 million dollars of it exports it services exports and then the economy economy opened up of course uh, by 2002 there were 8000 companies in it services doing 12 from india right doing 12 billion dollars of exports Right. So insane amount of growth, uh, insane amount of growth in the number of companies, and I believe we truly believe that that's where we are with B two B SaaS in India today. There are probably few hundred companies, uh, maybe a thousand companies that are doing real revenue and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, uh, contextual, strategic, and tactical kind of things that have to go right for a SaaS business. And the challenge with the SaaS business is there are lots of things that have to go right for you to be able to build a flywheel, which can propel you forward. Okay? And uh, unfortunately, money can let you live longer, but money is not the way to solve these things. Right? You can't figure this out just because you have money. Right? Right. Uh, so that's where we figured out that hey, there are set of inflection points, and if you solve for those inflection points, then you can actually build this flywheel which generates more and more revenue. by itself just focusing on the product the marketing delivering value to customers and most entrepreneurs get into business just for that right most entrepreneurs get into business because they see a customer and they're like i can add more value to their life 
so if you can just focus on that and then build this flywheel that we want that philosophy or that uh, method to do the same transformation that happened in uh, it services from a 200 companies to 8000 companies we want to be responsible for 1000 or 2000 of them over the next 8 10 years so upeka is also run as a startup right you guys have raised your own round of funding uh, you brought investors on board you're not a saas business yourself for enabling saas businesses what did the investors see how did you convince them um, that this is you know where you are at and, um, how does this work right so um, there are three of us uh, founders at upeka right so um, uh, rajan uh, i think you've spoken to before uh, he's had a long history of uh, working with in the ecosystem helping a lot of people with product Uh, helping a lot of people with uh, M&A as well in the past, uh, right? And uh, my other co-founder Shaker, uh, he was actually he actually started NetApp in India. Uh, he had built a, a yeah. startup uh, in the US, which was sold. Uh, he was part of the founding team, uh, which went IPO and then uh, got sold to Alcatel Lucent for two billion dollars in '99, right? Uh, billion with a B. Uh, so uh, between us, uh, when we started uh, talking to talking about this problem all of us uh, one of the things that we felt very passionate about was that founders have to get great outcomes and when we started out on the journey the obvious thing to do was talk to founders who had had great outcomes right so when we started talking to the b2b saas community in bangalore in india right saying hey look what was it that helped you get that great outcome and when we we anyway had most of them in our networks so we started talking to them and we said look if we do something that can help 1000 saas founders get great outcomes and in the process we are able to build a business around that where we are getting equity and a revenue share the retainer from these uh, startups right uh, in order to get those outcomes in order to deliver the value to them right this itself could become a very very large business and the good part is our ic has proven that that kind of works in a different slightly different model but it, it, the model essentially is if you are delivering value it's the same value model i am delivering value to an entrepreneur by helping them build a business where they will then subsequently earn a million dollars and million dollars can we earn a 100000 dollars or a million dollars from each entrepreneur right so that's the uh, essentially the model that we are building right and uh, when we spoke about this we realized that the one way to get it off the ground and one important component to get it off the ground is also the network of people who are able to help these founders so the money that we took from these uh, angels was as much about saying hey you have to come and help these founders uh, and a lot less for actually for us to spend that money right it was actually getting that network of stakeholders together saying hey wouldn't you be able to spend time to help our founders as much as hey we need some money to get this thing off the ground and uh, we use effectuation a lot Right. so we don't have an office uh, not just because of covid but even before covid we never had an office uh, we used to borrow space from uh, successful b2b saas startups uh, so we borrowed space from a capillary we borrowed space from a chargebee we borrowed space from freshworks we borrowed space from a bunch of uh, founders right and these founders we went to their offices with our 10 startups 20 founders right and they sat there and because we are sitting there we get access to their founders and not just the founders right so when we are in uh, uh, freshworks or a chargebee 
we could get charlie's first customer support person come and talk about how, what was the experience of being the first customer support person in a team which is growing very fast that person is now the first customer success person later that person then became the head of customer success so what is the journey like what does the founder need to look what are the mistakes that were made right and this is now at a very granular level because we are in their office and this person can come and just talk about this for half an hour or one hour mm-hmm. which we could not have achieved otherwise right? right so we have like been very effectual in getting resources for building this and money was not the resource we were looking for from the angel investors as much as their time and support for this initiative which is much 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 more critical and so many of them have done such amazing things right um, whether it's krish from charge b girish from freshworks uh, shekhar kirani from axel um, uh, anish from capillary uh, palla from fusion charts vijay from uh, nutanix uh, uh, david hauser is in the us uh, professor saras uh, who is uh, teaches entrepreneurship and uh, who created the theory of perfection all of them have helped enormously to get this whole thing off the ground we'll get to professor saras in just a minute uh, when i definitely want to talk to you about effectuation um, that's a topic that you also enjoy and i know it's very close to your heart uh, but before we get that you know uh, i run a startup called wellmo and we enable businesses uh, to access affordable health insurance and one of the things that i wanted to do because we're going for the startup small businesses uh, that's where i think there's no hanging fruit right a lot of businesses are not covered uh, especially at the early stage so i created this whole experience you know for purchasing insurance via the internet right like you don't need to talk to anybody uh, you can basically come in add your team and come and purchase now one of the challenges i have and i still have today is still the folks who buy insurance be founders hr admin what not will still send me an email still whatsapp me still call me up and this is something that i saw in some of the content that you have as well is that india is still a do it for me market and it stuck you know i mean i i worked at pu as well where i help build a lot of the sme side it's still a uh, do it for me market where there's a lot of we couldn't build a full blown onboarding process because still they needed some phone call support and other things is it unrealistic to expect businesses to do that experience and then you know or how do you build for it what has been your experience uh, in in you know especially in, in a saas business you want that to be the case right you want to be extremely low touch and high support yeah so you know I, i'll just address the last bit there before we go back right see it's okay to be high touch in a saas business there's nothing wrong with that if and only if your margins allow that if what you're doing as a high touch activity is high value to your customer right then there will be enough margin to support doing that so let me give you an example right so if we are doing uh if you are doing essentially something that doubles or triples the value of your software or your process or what you are doing right for your customers then you can and if that cannot be done by your product but has to be done by some element of integration or services and stuff like that right 
then as a professional services piece you can deliver that value you can charge a lot for it it will be high margin and you can make a lot of money from that so that is very very powerful something that you can do right but can you do that in a low margin activity in a low value activity that is not possible right so you have to think about hey whatever i am doing is that a low margin low value activity or is it a high margin high value activity and you can have a high touch in a high margin high value activity you can't afford to have a high touch in a low margin low value activity right and so in india the challenge is that people are looking for high touch in things that are low margin so then your business model becomes very difficult to deliver that versus in the us you will find that they are okay paying you a lot for things that are high margin high touch and therefore and high value and they are very clear about that they will tell you look this you i have to do it 10 times so it has to be user friendly to do and i have to be able to do it myself because this is a low value this i need to do once a quarter or once a month this is very high value for me if you can offer a way for me to do this or if you can help me do this then i'll pay you a lot maybe it's only once a quarter maybe it's only once a year right right so that mix then allows you to build a product which is very smooth very easy to use for the things that need to be done every day but the things that you do once in a while which may be very high value very high risk whatever it is there you can actually add professional services to deliver that and maintain your margin so the pro- problem is not with the touch the problem is with the margin and uh, the, the this has been learned very very hard way right the very very hard way i have an example of a business and uh, they were trying to build in 2000 say 14 15 a very advanced piece of core tech uh they had domain expertise they were building that a security related thing um and they had apis for it they had uh, all the pieces for it their integrations decently done right not not like super production quality but well good enough they had documentation all of that stuff right and the interesting thing was um you know in india they, their uh, prospects were like flipkart uh, olx uh, snapdeal uh, all of these folks wanted this they said yeah this makes sense we need this from a security perspective for our front end websites whatever and they would then go into this adoption cycle and we will just stretch on for 6 months and they would say oh we can't understand this so this is not working or oh, i am not able to do this i am not able to do that what about this what about the other and it just endlessly like go on and on and on just to get the poc running forget about like buying right and these guys were feeling maybe you know our product is not good enough maybe our documentation not good enough maybe i should send my developer to their office to sit there with them and do it and then they would say no 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 don't come it should be you know plug and play and this and that and the other and just kept on going on and in the meantime they had also put their documentation and their api sandbox and everything online uh, they hadn't put the pricing they just put the stuff because this is more enterprise right? and uh, they just put some rough pricing i remember somebody from australia looked at the documentation looked at the api implemented it tested it then sent them a mail saying now i want to put it into production where do i pay i couldn't find a credit card link or a payment link 
and then they realized boss if this person in australia sitting never contacted us was able to look at the documentation was able to implement it was able to use the api was able to test it out in their production environment in a test yeah. Yeah. and then is saying they want to buy then there is nothing wrong with our product it is these customers who had a certain mindset and certain way of operating they want to get on a call they want to get on a call and then the call is scheduled two weeks later and all that stuff is that's what was not working nothing wrong with the product product works great documentation is great api is great right and that really fooled them into getting stuck in that for like almost a year year and a half what's it this person was ready to pay them 5000 dollars a year right after just testing down right and again so if you had the margin in india to support things like this if if let's say the flipkarts of the world would then pay you 100000 dollars great but after all this they'll only pay you 10000 dollars and negotiate on that and negotiate on that and then pay you 60 days later right that doesn't make sense okay? I, that's why when i have a very similar i have a yeah. very similar uh, scenario right when we sold payment products at payu or citrus we'd have the exact same challenge um, because just to you know we'd be putting out new products new services quite i wouldn't say regularly but uh, every few months we'll have something new that launch because things do change in payments and you want to be on top yeah. of the curve and we would have the same challenge the developers wouldn't read the documentation nobody would have seen any of those things i've literally been on calls where our developer would read the documentation to the other yeah. developer Read exactly right, and they're like, "Hey, where is this?" I'm like, "It's titled documentation API for so and so." Yeah, clearly documenting with examples, with code. Here's a snippet. Here's your yeah. uh, option, uh, and it blew my mind. Um, yeah, so it's absolutely right. It's clear. And, it's across the board. And the interesting thing, yeah, and an interesting thing is that same engineer. will implement stripe without asking them a single question hmm. right that same developer will implement whatever american global api without needing to ask that person anything they will read that document when you talk about price point in the segment um, as a value saas business how do you look at how to price some of these products because it's a you know when you look at any software it's a very hard to price challenge you can either take a real life peg saying this is what somebody is doing already and i will give it at a tenth of the cost 20th of the cost etc but then those need to make sense in large volume right and then that makes you know because uh, you need to also keep your ship running what what would a concept look like to to price yourself in a saas business yeah so we literally run uh, entire uh, weeks worth of workshops around pricing right and and these are working sessions these are not like gyan and all that right uh, at a high level we talk about value based pricing so uh, there's a brilliant book uh, by uh, uh, madhavan ramanujam i think it's name called uh, uh, called monetizing innovation it's fantastic uh, book about pricing right um essentially your pricing has to be linked to the value you are delivering to the customer the value you are delivering to the customer is a function of the problem you are solving for the customer so 
the biggest issue is if you are solving a problem that's not worth much to the customer and again i'm talking from a b2b context if it's not worth much to the customer then their process for buying it itself may be more expensive than solving that problem is worth what solving the problem is worth Sure. So you have to be cognizant of that first of all. What does that mean? That means that if you go to a large enterprise, their process for buying anything new might cost them say thousand uh, dollars in time. So unless you have such a low friction way to bypass that process, you shouldn't be selling them anything worth five hundred dollars or thousand dollars, right? You might sell it to an individual there, but you can't sell it to the organization. If you're selling to the organization, you're still in a Fortune five hundred kind of a company because of compliance uh, laws, a lot of A lot of real problems, right? They are not fake problems. A lot of real problems. The cost for them to buy a software might be ten thousand dollars. So you better sell them something that's at least solving a hundred thousand dollar problem for them. So if the problem is solved, the value for them is hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. Only then it's even viable for them to buy that software. Forget about deploying it and all that. That's one starting point. So the problem that you are solving for them has a value X. You cannot charge. More than that, that's very straightforward. That's your upper bound, right? Then on the other end, the cost for delivering that, and that's where the onboarding cost or the you know pre-sales cost or all of that kind of stuff starts coming in. And you should make sure that you're able to charge more than your cost, right? But too many founders start with this and not with the value. So what we say is cost, the price that you charge has to be value minus and cost plus. But closer to the value than the cost. That's how you can build a healthy margin. Now, what is pushing you down from the top is your competitor's pricing. So, if there is a competitor's pricing available in that market, then they are going to push you down. You are going to push them down, and it's going to be a race towards the cost plus margin. The way to escape that is to actually add more value, not reduce your cost. So, unless you are like a truly scale business, reducing your cost will go only so far. but increasing the value is something that all of us can do and i have seen cases in upeka where the problem that the founder was solving was originally worth say uh you know 500 dollars to a small business per quarter because they were solving a hiring problem and this small business basically hires only one person every quarter and when i'm solving uh, hiring one person i save say 500 dollars by using this tool versus in an enterprise context they are hiring 100 people per month and if you save the same 500 dollars you are basically saving them 50000 dollars per month same product right and 50000 dollars per month is 600000 dollars a year you are saving them same product now is the user interface the same no because the earlier user interface is built for a owner they're doing one thing at a time now you might actually have 10 recruiters using this you might have a head of recruitment using this fundamentally the unit of what it's doing uh, skill testing for example is the same no difference there but the way it's being used because it was used once a quarter before or 10 times a quarter before to hire one person versus it's now being used A thousand times a month by ten people or fifteen people has shifted the amount of value you are adding. And now, when you add some more access into this, it is still the same product. 
but maybe there is a head of lnd who's also looking at the report for this and they realize that internally we have these skills and we don't need to go out for it and they're able to test the internal people with the same product that might add another million dollars or 5 million dollars of value to that customer and you can charge them more for that okay so they've gone from literally 19 dollars a month 200 dollars a quarter 200 dollars a year kind of a pricing to tens of thousands of dollars a year to hundreds of 150 180000 a year in their pricing just in a small small change but it's still the same unit of product but the who is using it for what for what what value is the biggest change mm. right of course the product changes mm. right because the use case is now more advanced and stuff like that but it, it's not it's not like uh, you know it's not completely oh this is not the same product if you looked at it 3 years ago and if you look at it now it looked like the same product it's a, it's all incremental changes it's not it's not rocket science what would be the closest comparison to this because when i when you talk about this i'm thinking of linkedin right which had a single price for using premium but now they have given four personas and each persona has a different uh price point yeah. and they've opened up different pieces of the same platform to, the, to that individual earlier it is all led in just one big uh pie i think it is 2000 rupees a month or something like that now they are also able to price differently and give different aspects uh of the platform to them um yeah. prasna when we are talking about this uh i don't want to you know let you go before discussing effectuation and one of the things that i heard about your cohort uh is how you guys have used the quilt theory of effectuation uh to an extreme and uh, some really amazing use of uh, uh, you know anecdotes where companies have come together to support each other especially when covid struck uh yeah. do you want to basically walk our audience through you know the principle and how this basically has kind of supported the startups that you take up so so um i will like kind of explain effectuation first right and then i'll come to you know how uh, we've helped founders apply uh, different effectual principles including the quilt so effectuation first came out as a theory by studying on expert entrepreneurs right so the idea was if i look at what expert entrepreneurs do and how they do things can i figure out what they do differently and the interesting part of it is uh, the angle of uh, the thought process was what is it that is the most important thing that entrepreneurs do every day and the hypothesis there was decision making so if i can understand how expert entrepreneurs make decisions different from somebody else and figure out and help more people make those decisions in a better way what can i do right and so this research was done uh, uh, by professor saras uh, she was a student of herbert simon herbert simon is a nobel laureate uh, he is basically 
uh, a nobel level uh, uh, thinker in three different disciplines economics in uh, computer science and in artificial intelligence right so they interviewed about uh, they wanted to interview about uh, uh, a few hundred expert entrepreneurs and expert entrepreneurs is a very high bar this is somebody who's at least gone public once uh, at least uh, been at a 100 million dollar plus level and at least had one failure and at least done some 10 plus years of entrepreneurship right so they're very high bar right and so when they went and did this study and created this theory of effectuation what they realized is a few simple principles there. uh and the simple principles and they are very hard to do in practice it's just the principles are simple to explain uh, and the first principle essentially is bird in hand so most entrepreneurs start with what they have uh which is who they know what they know and who they are and they start with that right uh they are trying to do things which can be done by them with what they have rather than say that's a very nice idea now how do i figure out how to do it they say what can i do today let me do that let me figure out what is the next step second is they do things with an affordable loss what that means is uh, from a bet perspective right there are uh, two parts to any kind of bet that you take one is downside and the other is upside and this concept of risk people keep getting mixed between the two things and the question that keeps coming is do our entrepreneurs risk taking risk taking etc right and uh, somebody says no oh, entrepreneurs are risk taking somebody else says no entrepreneurs are not risk taking the answer is that expert entrepreneurs never take a risk on the downside so if there's any chance that they will die because of the next step that they take they will not take that step however they do take risk where the downside is zero but there is some upside and they keep doing that so they te- keep taking steps that they can take within their affordable loss so if it fails also they are alive to take another step and there is some possibility of upside but zero possibility of downside because in their experience whenever they have estimated downside risk more often than not it's like playing russian roulette mathematically the upside might be calculated as okay you get a million dollars if you win in russian roulette right and if you lose you're dead so mathematically the dollar value calculation of that is 5 by 6 times a million dollars is your expected payout but the odds are 1 by 6 that you will die and this is the problem right the problem is that from a survivorship bias perspective all the winners all the people who played russian roulette had great things to say about russian roulette <laughs> because the others did survive the guy who got his head shot isn't around to tell you that is a bad game to play okay right? so all expert entrepreneurs always stay with an affordable loss expert entrepreneurs don't play russian roulette the third principle is um, about the uh, quilt and that's where essentially what happens is this affordable loss is actually different for different people your affordable loss is different from my affordable loss so what i need to build a business is actually not money right will money get me growth money doesn't get me growth i have to take that money do something with it maybe it's hiring a person to build something maybe it's hiring a person to sell something maybe it's hiring some person to do some marketing work 
maybe it's hiring a person to go and talk to somebody else to sell it right but the money itself doesn't get me growth or whatever it is money gets me something that gets me that stuff and the interesting thing is that what it gets me may be affordable loss for someone else loss for someone else then i can just get it from them without needing to do that monetary transaction and if i am able to stitch together a quilt where different people are giving me what is within their affordable loss and i put this together i might be able to build a viable business and now this business is going to be extremely capital efficient because i have not used capital to build it. and when i have not used capital to build it now come back to that old machine thing that i told you which is if i had to take a dollar and built a printing machine for a dollar i don't own it but if i took a dollar and nine of my friends and we built, together built a machine which prints 10 dollars each of us now owns 10% of a machine that prints 10 dollars so we are all better off than in the first situation and that's what expert entrepreneurs have figured out and one of the absolute like crazy examples of this is richard branson richard branson when he started virgin airlines he wasn't a big entrepreneur at that point of time nobody knew who he, knew who he, who he was what he said was hey boeing can you give me a couple of planes that you have that will be in your hangar somewhere that are not flying right but i can't afford to you pay you for them up front what will it take for you to give me those planes and boeing i thought about it that year apparently was a bit of a bad year for airlines so they actually had manufactured couple of planes which were not selling so they were just in the hangar they said okay pay me as you go kind of thing right and the condition from our side is you have to be exclusively boeing if this airline works you should promise that you will only buy from boeing so then he said okay if at the end of the year the experiment doesn't work i'll return those planes to you but if it works i'll only buy from boeing so boeing's affordable loss was literally two aeroplanes for a year Richard Branson's affordable loss was his capacity, capability to build a great brand, deliver great customer success service. Putting these together, you could build an airline without actually raising a lot of money. But imagine if somebody naive comes in and thinks, "Oh, I want to start an airline, and first I'm going to go and raise two hundred million dollars to buy two planes to build an airline." Right. the cost of that the capital structure of that itself may not allow that airline to run right so that's the third principle which is the quilt the crazy quilt right the fourth principle is called lemonade so lemonade is about being able to take surprises that are happening in the environment and put them into what you're doing rather than saying no i don't want a surprise right a lot of great examples for this krishi is a exactly a great example of this because what they did was when covid happened they had to figure out what to do and they came up with a way for restaurants and these uh, food joints to sell discount cards uh, uh, prepaid cards which would help gift cards which would help these businesses at a time when they needed money and their loyal supporters who might have had money and i don't want to see this business going out of uh, this 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 uh, company going out of business because i like their cookies i like their food i want them to stay uh up and running because you know that's a place where i uh, i like to have uh, food with my friends 
or with my girlfriend or whatever right and i want that business to be alive that person's affordable loss may be a 100 rupee gift card or a 500 rupee gift card this business's affordable loss is to take that gift card and give say a 10% discount or a 20% discount you put those two together and these folks built that platform very quickly and turned what was a bad situation into something that could actually generate revenue within i think 7 days 10 days a uh, few days right so that's the lemonade principle the last principle is pilot in the plane so pilot in the plane is actually the most critical thing which ties in all these things together and pilot in the plane is about being able to say i as an entrepreneur i'm creating the future i am making decisions i am building things which create the future the future is not something to be discovered the future is something to be built and founders who embrace this saying i don't care what anybody is predicting that the future will hold i am going to make it a future in which i will be successful my customers will be successful those are the founders who actually are able to do all of these things in a very very successful way and probably get uh, to a much much larger scale right it's not that they don't fail but if they fail they fail with an affordable loss it's not that they don't take risk they take risk but they take risk in a way where the upside is maximized it's not that they don't partner they partner with a lot of people and make sure that everybody is working within their affordable loss so even if the whole venture fails everybody there will say it's okay we tried it was within our affordable loss so nothing bad happened to me can we try again so this is cool and that's what happens right and in upeka we built a tribe of founders who believe these things who think this way and so when covid happened and a few of them got into serious trouble because of uh, their cash flow receivables things not working out the other founders said look if it was me i would want somebody to help i have the cash flow as a value as business because my customers pay me recurring revenue and i am able to support this business so let us share the pain literally people have given money founders some of the founders stepped up and said the worst thing to happen for a good founder is them running out of cash flow simply because of something that is absolutely unexpected out of their control step up let's give them some amounts of money just so that they don't die because of you know running out of cash during covid if they die because their product sucks or their customers are not buying or you know everything is gone that's the issue that's the risk that any entrepreneur takes but they didn't make it. so uh, uh, four of our startups got money right so three months worth of their working capital needs uh, from the other founders who were slightly uh, doing better whose businesses had not been that affected right and that kind of a quilt is what we want to stitch with our founders between our founders uh, not just for money right because money is just a means to it but a lot of them have actually partnered to go to customers together to build products together to use each other's products uh, and that can make the whole thing much much more efficient and effective this is a great story uh, prasad i am glad we were able to share this uh, with us today uh, continue with success with uh, upeka uh, continue to grow the tribe um, keep make a difference uh, i'm sure we're going to see some multi billion dollar companies come out of upeka and upeka might by itself become a multi billion dollar company on the way so good luck with all of that um uh, any any last uh, kind of uh, shout outs that you want to make are you hiring yeah so uh, we are not hiring per se but uh, the next cohort of startups will be starting in uh, late august september kind of a time frame so we will be opening up applications around uh, july uh, 20th Uh, kind of a time frame the applications will be open for 15 days 20 days 
So anybody who wants to be a part of a tribe, who wants to be effectual, who wants to build values as business, uh, who wants as a founder who wants to earn a million dollars to ten million dollars and above, uh, they should look us up. Uh, hey guys, you've heard it from Prasanna right here. So um, do spread the word about Upeka and what they're up to. I think uh, you get a lot of value. I've heard from a lot of their founders, and uh, I for sure, at least from hearsay, say that they've done a fantastic job. So uh, please share the video, uh, subscribe, and also stay tuned for a lot more amazing founders like Prasanna right here on the Stars and Startups podcast.